You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to Padres Social Hour on this last day of March, finally. It's funny because it's like everybody on social media earlier today was doing the thing from the office where you didn't realize there were 31 days in the month of March. It has been a long month uh, for a lot of reasons, obviously. I think back to the beginning of March, uh, Padres were just kind of getting going in their exhibition schedule, and obviously uh, so much has changed in the last 30, 31 days. We are flipping the calendar to April tomorrow. I I don't want to see the April Fool stuff. I'll just throw that out there early. If I can get like 12 hours ahead of it, I don't want to see the April Fool stuff on social media tomorrow. Uh, But we're uh, here to provide you some uh, distraction, if nothing else, uh, from all the craziness of the last month and uh, what we're sort of all dealing with here. Talk a little baseball. Try and pretend to be normal for a little bit. We got a fun show for you today. Uh, Jace Tingler, the Padre manager, will join us. Also, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, his new book, Swing Kings, about the home run revolution in baseball, is out today. So if you're looking for something to read, uh, certainly uh, would recommend that to you. We'll talk to Jared about the new book coming up in a little bit. We'll take your social media questions, and we will be joined now by A.J. Casavell, who covers the Padres for MLB.com. AJ, wonderful to see you. How are things in the Cassaville household? It's still March. It feels like this has been going, it feels like this month has gone on forever. Things are good. Things are, uh, I mean, I think like everyone, a little going a little insane being cooped up for so long, but also understanding what uh, what we're all doing this for and, and why we're doing it. So just kind of happy to be here and to be healthy and to at least be chatting Padres baseball in some light and uh, uh, using uh, FaceTime and Zoom and Google Hangout and all those apps a little bit more than usual these days to see to see people I want to get get together with. I saw one story last week and, and you know what social media, obviously, there's plenty of misinformation. So I don't even know if this was accurate or not, but it was kind of funny and not that important. So I, I feel OK passing it along. But I guess there's a company on the stock exchange that's called Zoom, but it is not the Zoom software that everybody has been using. And they actually had to pull the stock off the, because people were buying it thinking it was the teleconferencing software when in fact it was just some other company completely unrelated to that and they didn't want it artificially being uh, inflated or whatever it is. That's the crazy world of right now. That's March 2020. That's it. Right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Uh, all right. As we mentioned, Jace Tingler uh, coming up in a little bit. Uh, we look back at, at this March as a month uh, certainly to forget. But if you go back exactly one year ago today, March 31st, 2019, it was a military Sunday at Petco Park, the first Sunday home game of the season and the first major league start of number 59, Chris Paddock. That was one year ago today, AJ Casabell. Yeah, I think that might've been my favorite Chris Paddock pregame getup too. That was the uh, black suit, black hat, pink tie look, I believe with, with uh, I think it was jeans. I think it's always, it's always fun realizing because I, a lot of times the day to day of the baseball season, every, things get lost in like who's pitching that night. You get to the ballpark, you kind of forget. And then, you get in the clubhouse and you see Chris Chris Paddock strolling in his in his game day get up and you kind of get a little excited and that's uh that's that was that day that was the feeling that day to the max that was a really cool day because he had done a lot in spring training and he had done a lot to really uh the spot was his to win but he like really went out there and won it to the point where we were asking like should he be the opening day starter would that even make sense and I think if there were no innings restrictions it, it would have made sense but uh it was cool that it was military Sunday too I know that meant a lot to him and um it's funny thinking back because I mean I, I I assume Chris Paddock would have been the opening day starter in in uh, 2020 and probably still will be barring something unforeseen and uh, it's 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 a cool day to go look back on if I remember it was uh, it was one run over five innings he was really good and kind of I mean he had ups and downs during his rookie season but what we saw on that first day was probably a good taste of what we were, what was to come. This uh, for the second or third time in a week I bought my uh, 2019 scorebook out so I have. Nice. All your details. It's cool because I was looking over this, you know, a little while ago this afternoon and some of the things that I had forgotten about. Uh, first of all, he set down the first 10 guys. 
That's insane. I mean, when you think about a major really league cool. debut, and I know the Giants weren't exactly like an offensive juggernaut in 2019, uh, but still, he retired the first 10 in a row. Uh, the first guy to reach base was Joe Panic with a two out or a one out walk in the fourth inning. He was erased on a strike him out, throw him out double play. And then he finally gave up a hit with one out in the fifth inning to Brandon Crawford, who would come in to score the only run that he allowed. Five innings, a run on two hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts. I mean, that. If I remember. If I remember right, that game was like everything that encapsulated like the Chris Paddock discussion too. I think the run he gave up, he hung a curveball to Pablo Sandoval. So it was like, all right, will he develop that third pitch? And uh, the strike, he had a few strikeouts on that changeup. So we were all like, okay, this pitch is going to play in the major leagues like we all thought it would. Uh, the five innings, I think, he, I don't know how many pitches he threw, but there was a 79. Was a, that was the first time we got, we, we were exposed to the, this is how the Padres are going to treat Chris Paddock in 2019 because they don't want to push him too hard given what he's given the surgery he's coming off of and the fact that he got pushed to the major leagues really fast. So that was a, that was a fun day in as a reporter for all the storylines it kind of generated and all the storylines you, you can kind of keep talking about. And I think every fifth day it's, it's probably been a while since the Padres have had someone so fun pitching every fifth day. And that's what Chris Paddock did. And I think uh, moving forward, and there might be a few more of those kinds of guys who, when you wake up and it's Paddock day, or you wake up, it's Mackenzie Gore day, or you wake up Luis Patino day, Nelson Lamette day. There's, there's guys that kind of get you excited for who's pitching that night. And the Padres, at least in my first few years in the beat, didn't always have that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's something that, Look, if, if, if you look at the World Series type teams in those, you know, pennant type teams, I mean, they're usually going to have at least two guys that you're excited to see pitch out of the five in the rotation. And, and that's one of those things you absolutely need. I'm just kind of looking through it some more. You were, you were right, by the way. Uh, the, the one run scoring hit he gave up was an RBI double by Pablo Sandoval. It was a 10 pitch at bat. And I actually kind of vaguely remember it was like this, you know, never ending kind of thing. And, and I don't have written down whether it was a curveball or not, but it may very well have been. Uh, his first three strikeouts came one, two, three in the second inning. He struck out all three guys he faced in his second major league inning. Belt, Crawford, and Gerardo Parra. Fastball, changeup, changeup, all swinging. That's exactly what you're saying. I mean, it was like we got a real, real taste of what Chris Paddock was all about. Yeah, and he he got the uh, he got a no decision, right? But the Padres won that day, if, I'm, if I remember that correctly. Right. Adam Warren was the winning pitcher. Okay. Two scoreless innings in relief. Padres won three to one. Kirby picked up his third save in what I believe was the fourth game of the season, uh, which also was a pretty good harbinger of things to come. Uh, Kirby, a, a one, two, three, ninth inning with a strikeout. And uh, yeah, Warren, two scoreless innings of relief. Stammen, uh, a one, two, three, eighth. Machado made a great defensive play in the eighth to, to help him out. It was a heck of a day that Sunday afternoon, one year ago today, in which uh, Chris Paddock made his major league debut. Is yeah, I think it's on the pitch count. It, what's that about the pitch count? Good point. You know, I, I, you're right that we didn't necessarily yeah. know going in that they weren't going to let him go beyond 80. We kind of figured they weren't going to let him throw 110 pitches, but um, he was cruising to say the least uh, through five innings, a run on two hits. And then it was 79 pitches and uh, good night. And, and you're right. That was kind of when we, I guess, officially realized uh, that it was going to be a little bit of a different situation for him last year. Yeah. And you'll probably agree with me on this point because we cover so many games or call so many games that like a lot of times you go to the game and, and maybe like you look back. I mean, you have, a, you have a full scorebook right there. You could probably page through 80 percent of those games and like really try and remember something from them and have a hard time doing so. And so that's like when I'm at a game and I think I would, last week we watched we rewatched that six run ninth inning comeback against the Rockies. And then that Sunday game was on on Fox Sports last night. Like I always think it's really cool to be at a game that I know that hey, a year later, I'm going to remember the details of what happened in that game, or at least the kind of feeling that it had. And it's even cooler, I think, when you get a kind of a big debut or a big situation like where Chris Paddock was uh, making when he was making that start with all the hoopla around it, that going into the day, you know that, all right, this is going to be a game that we're going to be talking about in the future. And this is going to be a day where we're going to remember it. We're going to remember what he does. We're going to remember the kind of atmosphere at the ballpark. And you don't get a whole, it's 162 games and you don't get a whole lot of that during the season. You still love and cherish every day, but those days are special. And that was one of them year ago today. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, PB Merrick on Twitter says, Hey, you have time, Jesse scan that scorebook. Oh, I have time. You're right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll put a picture of it on, uh, on my Instagram story at Jesse Agler. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I'll take a picture of that page. You can kind of look back at some of my little notes and things uh, that Paddock did that day. The other thing I've written down here 
um, is just kind of in the corner. I'd scribbled uh, 11 strikeouts, surely 1977, which I imagine was the Padre rookie strikeout record, or at least the Padre record in terms of most strikeouts in a debut. Bob Shirley uh, struck out 11 guys in 1977, but of course, Bob Shirley wasn't about to get yanked out of 79 pitches, so or after 79 pitches. So that record was like definitely in range for Chris Paddock had uh, circumstances been a little bit different. Yeah, you're getting me nostalgic. I got to go uh, dig up my scorebook from last year. I'm sure it won't be as as intricate as what you've got down there. But I I keep a a much less stringent book, but I get everything in there. We have uh, very different jobs, and uh, you can go back and look at the article you wrote about it. And I imagine there was more than one uh, to, to relive that. That's a nice, tangible thing that you can go back and do. All right, as we said, uh, Jace Tingler coming up, Jared Diamond as well. Speaking of things AJ writes, uh, he's trying to light some fires on social media. It's it's a fun thing. It really is. Uh, today's edition of uh, Yell at AJ was the greatest first baseman <laughs> in Padre history. So you kind of make your case. Uh, you do a list. Uh, others mention notable mentions, whatever, that kind of thing, and a poll. Uh, so I, for this one, for me, I, I got to tell you, like, I, I think it would be hard to argue with number one. Yeah, Adrian Gonzalez is number one. And I, I what I will say is it's hard to argue against Adrian Gonzalez. But if you if you were around for the Nate Colbert years and remember those years fondly, and, th- and that was kind of the start of your Padres fandom, that's great. But Adrian Gonzalez, what he did during his time in San Diego was, was I think, pretty clearly the, the most uh, impactful of any first baseman. I mean, some of those seasons uh, toward the end of the, the 2000s decade where the Padres weren't as good, like they were good in 06, 07, and 10. But his 09 season was incredible, and I'm just – blown away that he didn't get more MVP love than he did, especially that was when Petco Park was a, an extreme pitcher's park. And so I think he played almost an MVP MVP caliber first base in San Diego for at least the last two of those seasons. And he was very good for the other four. And so, like I said, if you want to make the argument for Nate Colbert, this, is, this list is open-ended. I'm not making this list to say these are the definitive top five guys. The list is is up to you, and you can debate what you want. And Nate Colbert was extremely meaningful for the start of the franchise, the first real star that they had. But to me, Adrian Gonzalez is number one, and that is the combo of one and two, however you want to put it. It's it's Adrian Gonzalez, Nate Colbert, or if you want to make the argument otherwise, I'm not going to begrudge it, but I, I just don't agree with it. So that's my one, two, and I think that's that that should be just about everyone. Yeah, I, I think there's not a lot of room for debate there. Now, all that being said, Nate Colbert does have more home runs in a Padre uniform than Adrian, correct? Correct. I think by two, it was really, really close. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to award the, the top overall first baseman based on home run total alone. Um, but I mean, Nate Colbert was an, it was an extremely impactful player and, and some of his home run totals at a time where, where home run numbers really were not very high across the sport were pretty impressive. And Adrian Gonzalez just, just, I mean, he, he did it in a, in a ballpark that wasn't conducive to home runs, but Nate Colbert did it kind of in an era that wasn't conducive to home runs. And not only that, I mean, you, you talk to people who watched the early years of what was then San Diego stadium. I mean, it was cavernous. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about the comparison between early Petco and early, what became Jack Murphy, Qualcomm, SDCCU, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I mean, it was, it was a tough place to hit it out. High walls, deep fences. Uh, Bill Center could go on and on and on about this. If he were with us, I'll ask him next time we have Bill on the show. But um, th- that was not an easy place to hit home runs. And like you said, the era was completely different uh, as well back in 1969 when the Padres started and when Nick Colbert made his Major League debut. Uh, just to kind of run through your list here really quickly, people can obviously find it on MLB.com, on Padres.com. Got, <clears throat> excuse me, Ryan Klesko, Wally Joyner, uh, Steve Garvey, fifth. Steve Garvey, fifth, and then your your honorable mentions. Yeah, and I think important to point out that Fred McGriff is the first honorable mention. For me, three through six could have gone in any order. And sometimes, like last week, I was last week there were three catchers I thought that kind of defined the Padres' history. And if I was making an impact Padres catchers list, I would have gone with only three. But since we've kind of settled on this five number, I kind of had to toss in two guys at the bottom of that list. This week there were I thought six guys that deserved to be on it, and. Uh, I think Fred McGriff, you can make the case that he's the best first baseman the Padres have ever had in just in terms of how good he was it just as a, as a player throughout his career, A, but also the type of player he was while he was in San Diego. He was borderline Hall of Fame caliber. I mean, Willie McCovey is also a guy the Padres had, but they had him toward the end of his career. Um, but I, I, I think you could put Fred McGriff very easily into that number three spot based on what your criteria are. But my criteria are your 
impact in your time in San Diego. And he was there for, for some decent teams, but he was, he was only there for two and a half years. So half as long as Steve Garvey, uh, less than that uh, compared to Ryan Klesko, about half as long as Wally Joyner. And so, uh, three through three through six was really, really tough. And ultimately I gave Steve Garvey the edge over McGriff at five because of what he did in the postseason. And I, I, I understand it's a small sample size, but I, I think when you look back on a, on a player's value and a player's impact, you can't discount how important they were to really important seasons in the franchise's history. That's also kind of why I had Wally Joyner where I had him at number four. And so, like I said, I think you could rank three through six in literally any any order you want among those four guys, and I wouldn't have any qualms with it. But if I'm strictly going by these arbitrary kind of guidelines that I've set up with, here's your career in San Diego – how, how, what kind of impact did you have? I, I, I like Klesko three, Joiner four, uh, Garvey five, and McGriff six, even though, like I said, I think McGriff is probably number one in terms of best first baseman. We actually, is. yeah, I mean, it, it's good barroom banter, and you know, it's, it's a good argument to have, and that's exactly the kind of stuff I, I think we all need right now is to lose ourselves in a, in a silly argument about the best first baseman and why and what criteria we're going to use. So, so great stuff there. You did have what I thought was one very notable uh, omission, though. I, I don't mean to call you out, but it's brought up by Christian here. You think back to spring training 2019. <laughs> The great yeah, Adam Rodriguez did not make your list. He is the he is the all time Padres top spring training first baseman. If I had <laughs> to guess, and I, no one was better than him. I mean, he, he, what did he have like four or five homers in those first couple games? And he was just and they were crushed. Every single one of those balls was was destroyed. And so yeah, we were kind of all. I remember scrambling that year because I do a decent amount of research on most of the guys who I think are going to make the roster. But I remember scrambling after day two, kind of like. <laughs> who the heck is this guy? And is he going to make the team? And why I mean, is he hitting 500 foot home runs every time yeah. he comes up? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, I, they're like for, first base is, is it's interesting. There's a lot of guys even kind of further down the list that, that I think you could, that deserve honorable mention and uh, probably more. It's, I mean, with any team, some positions historically are great. I think right field is going to be pretty loaded in San Diego, obviously at the top, but, First base is another one that, that it, that's pretty good if you look back in Padres history. Closer is not bad either uh, when yeah. you look back at the, the different positions. All right, good stuff there. Uh, as uh, for, for some of the news around baseball today, uh, one of the things I know a lot of fans have been you know concerned about and interested in was uh, the way minor league players were, were going to be taken care of uh, during all of this. Those guys you know, are only paid during the season and with no season, what was going on? And MLB today uh, announced that they would continue to kind of uh, handle the minor leaguers the way they have been the last few weeks, I think through the end of May or until uh, whenever the minor league season begins, whenever that is. So that was like a really nice piece of news to see AJ it, it just you know it's one of these you know constant reminders that we're getting right now like we're all in this as a planet as like a humanity and anything we can any of us can do to help you know make somebody else's situation better is a positive it was good to see that news today yeah and there's a, there's a lot of I think good news coming out of like people doing good things for other people and this being one of them I mean there's there's obviously a lot on Major League Baseball's plate and on the baseball the plate of the baseball decision makers for what has to happen with the schedule, what has to happen with players and with pay and with where they are and how they can work out. And there's just so many things going on that um, you want to see these things achieved in a timely fashion that day. Make sure everyone's taken care of ASAP. But it I mean it it got done through May 31st now, and so it, it may have. It may have come incrementally, but that's just because there's just so many things that have to be figured out. And that's just on a baseball scale where everyone else is 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 worrying about the things that you have to worry about on your day-to-day -day life and what's going on in the world and staying safe and staying healthy and also trying to accomplish the right things uh, uh, for, for your players and for major and minor league baseball. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that that's done and the minor leaguers deserve to be compensated because, I mean, we're all, like you said, we're all in this thing together, literally everyone on the planet. Yeah, the complexities of the thing, you know, are, are probably well beyond what any of us realize, but it is good to see, uh, you know, nice results at the end of something like that. All right. Uh, Jace Tingler, the Padre manager, was nice enough uh, to spend a few minutes with me earlier this afternoon. We'll play that back for you in just a moment. Also, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal has a new book out called Swing Kings, all about the home run and launch angle revolution in baseball. Obviously, a significant part of baseball, perhaps the significant thing that's happened in baseball these last four years. We'll talk to Jared in a little bit, but first, the skipper. Waiting to manage his first game in the big leagues, Jace Tingler.
Jason, it is uh, wonderful to see you, obviously. Uh, let's see. It's uh, We're taping this at about 4 o'clock. That means, I guess, on a normal day with a game against the Braves coming up, you'd be uh, out on the field getting ready for batting practice or wrapping up batting practice. I don't even know anymore, but obviously that <laughs> is not the case. Uh, great to see you, though. Everything uh, going as well as it can be? Yeah, it's, you know, probably, I guess, as good as it can right now. Just such, you know, crazy times, but, uh, you know, can't really complain too much. What is, not to sound silly, but like, what is the job of a, of a major league manager right now with all this going on? And it's, uh, you know, we're kind of on uncharted waters right now. So, you know, I think the main thing is, uh, you know, checking in on the health of the guys, health of the staff, the organization, and, and uh, obviously a lot of, you know, serious issues going on. But, you know, first and foremost is, you know, trying to make sure our guys are, are, are staying safe and, um, you know, we're just doing the best we can. Obviously, our medical team's working, uh, you know, through the clock and uh, just trying to stay on top of everything. Being, I would imagine, in pretty close contact with the players over the course of the last couple of weeks at this point, everybody uh, seemed like they're hanging in that you've spoken to? Yeah, for the most part, everybody's in, you know, pretty good spirits. And, uh, you know, we got them in kind of all different uh, areas of, you know, whether it's the states or, you know, the world. So, you know, some of the guys are home, some of the guys are in San Diego and, you know, just kind of spread out, um, you know, and then we're doing the best we can to update them with, you know, whatever information's coming across. What have you been doing to to stay busy other than, you know, like working out? That seems to be something that a lot of the baseball managers have uh, tried to do to fill their time. It certainly looks like you've been exercising. But uh, aside from that, how have you been able to fill these days? You know, it's it's been, you know, long days. Each day is a little bit different. We're getting, you know, more and more information. But, you know, whether it's going for runs or whether it's working out, um, you know, trying to, you know, stay connected with my family who, you know, uh, they're not here in San Diego right now. And, uh, you know, so there, there's a lot of different challenges across the board. And and uh, in the evening, um, you know, just watching some Netflix and things like that, to, you know, kill time. Yeah, you, me and everybody else in the world, I guess, uh, it seems at this point. We, we talked a little bit on yesterday's show about, you know, these old games that have been all over MLB Network and, you know, they're streaming here and there. Uh, it, it's kind of been fun in a, in a weird way, I guess, with everything going on to kind of have like one eye on those. Uh, what, what do you remember about baseball as a kid? What teams did you follow? Who were your guys, your players that you were really into when you were younger? Sure. Yeah. Growing up in Kansas City, uh, you know, I was uh, I was a Royals fan. George Brett was my guy. Um, you know, mid, late 80s, early 90s, the, the, those, you know, those were the teams that, you know, my parents, uh, they would take me to those games. So those are kind of the memories um, that I have growing up and, and, and going to the ballpark. So, you know, I know like on this year's schedule, we were lined up to play the AL Central. And uh, it's always a good time for me to, you know, go back home to Kansas City and play in that ballpark. What, uh, yeah, that would, on the original schedule, I guess, unfortunately, yeah. the, uh, the operative uh, key uh, term in that sentence right there. We'll see how, how that all plays out. Um, when it comes to, like we said, filling these days and, and, you know, you know, players have been allowed to kind of go and work out on their own in, in small groups and with, you know, distance and that kind of thing. Um, but obviously this is, uh, this is not what anybody envisioned at this particular point in time. Well, what can you say to the guys, uh, you know, whether it's pitchers or position players in terms of just readying themselves best they can for whatever it is to come? Yeah, I feel very confident in, you know, kind of our coaching group and, you know, the group, uh, you know, working with these guys. Uh, obviously, this is, you know, something we we never really experienced before. Um, so, you know, for the pitch inside, you know, the scariest thing is uh, is to start to stop and then have to start again. And, and uh, with everything going on, we've got a plan for that. You know, the challenge is we don't really have a, you know, a target date or we can't really see the finish line right now. And, and obviously the, the health, um, you know, the concerns, those are bigger than baseball right now. Um, but it is our responsibility that uh, we've got to be prepared if and when that day happens. Um, you know, I think, you know, just what we were talking about a little bit, you know, before we got on is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be our responsibility a little bit when we do get that green light, there's going to be a group of people, Americans that, you know, quite frankly, they're not into sports. They're not into baseball. There's also a big group that, um, you know, I'm guessing, um, 
you know, dying for a sense of normalcy and, you know, would love to sit down, you know, for three hours and watch a game. And so even though we don't have that target date and we don't have that line, uh, we got to do the best we can at preparing for that. Yeah. And every team is in the exact same situation. I mean, there's really no advantage to be had here. Big market, small market, payroll, this prospects that, I mean, literally every organization is going through the same thing right now. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, it's a challenge. And you talk to, you know, other managers or other people and, um, you know, other organizations and, and we're all going through it together. And, and, uh, you know, I just know, you know, people are resilient. Americans are resilient. And, you know, at the end of the day, you hope for the best and, you know, you look forward to that day where, you know, we can fight for some normalcy again. Fight for some normalcy. There you go. I think that's uh, that's the thing we'll put up on the banner uh, from here on out. Jace, great to talk to you. Appreciate it very much. Uh, continue to take care of yourself and best of your family. Will do. Thanks, Jesse. You do the same. All right, that's the Padre manager, Jace Tingler. Let me also apologize to uh, Cole Gallagher, who's uh, pushing all the buttons for us on, on the show today. It was supposed to be Jared Diamond first on our rundown, and I, I messed up. Sorry. I'm sure that threw you for a loop, Cole. Apologies, mea culpa. Anyway, AJ, that was uh, Jace Tingler, the, the Padre manager. That'd be so weird right now for him. Yeah, I, I think especially for him, given that, I mean, he's a first-time manager, kind of was gearing up for his first game, so intently focused on baseball, and this thing that's just out of everyone's control has has taken that away from him and away from all of us. And obviously, baseball is the least important thing on the agenda right now, but it's I think it's the most important, least important thing, and at least in our eyes, because it's it like he said, I think he put it really well, you, there are so many people who just want to gain some sense of normalcy. And for me, that's, I would love to be at Petco park right now, filling out a lineup card, being in the scrum around batting practice, ready to interview him or, or wherever I am. And that, that's what I would love to be. And whoever you are, you'd love to be getting home from work and turning on, turning on the Padres game and, and sitting back for a couple hours and not worrying about these things, but we're here and we, and, and, for what we can do with Padres social hour for kind of a, a sense of to try and bring a small sense of normal. So you understand that it's not a normal time and, and we can only do what we can do, which I mean, for a lot of us, for a huge chunk of us is staying home and staying safe. How about we got a celebrity? I saw that go up there. Luis Patino. Very nicely said AJ and Jace, but Hey, uh, Luis, what's up, man? Hope you're doing okay. It was fun watching you pitch in spring training and I can't wait to do it again. I hope you're, uh, you're healthy, safe, your family, same. Uh, to everybody. Not the only celebrity in here, by the way. Churro guy in the house. I don't know if that's actually him, but Churro guy's been in and out. And I, I messed up now. I, I hope I hope I don't offend Churro guy by putting the wrong guy's picture up there. But Churro guy has been in the house as well. Look, I mean, what you and Jace both said, AJ, it's we're all just trying to like, you know, get through these days, you know, with some semblance of sanity and, uh, you know, try not to think too much about, you know, what's going on while still being cognizant of it and, and aware of it and taking care of ourselves. And, and exactly as Geekster's saying, I mean, there, there's a tone that's important here. Yeah, she's right on top of it. Yeah, no, and he struck the right tone. And it's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you and I both know it's, 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 it's hard to do because at, at the end of the day, baseball is low on the scale and extremely low. I, I I don't know who said who said this thing, but I heard someone say it a few days ago. It might not have even been pertaining to baseball, but it, it is the most important, unimportant thing for a lot of people. And <laughs> it's not important, but we all kind of need it now. And so I, I, I will say this. I think there's there's normalcy to be gained. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really important to stay informed. It's really important to do the right things to stay healthy. But there's also normalcy to be gained from having – even if even if the discussion is just who are the who's the fourth best first baseman in Padres history, like that that to me brings back even I, are, not arguing with people on Twitter, but but seeing fresh fun spirited debate on Twitter that that at least puts me at ease a little bit when the rest of what's going on is so big and hard to grasp. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And and we've talked in the last couple of days also about like the old games that are on MLB Network and ESPN and Fox Sports San Diego locally, obviously. Like it's so much fun going back and like kind of losing yourself. And like I watched the Mets Astros game six, the 86 NLCS the other day. I know they've had uh, Orioles Pirates 79 World Series was on last week. Like just kind of getting lost in that, even if it's for a few minutes or an hour, not even the whole thing. Um, and, and just sort of reminiscing me like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy or oh, those uniforms or whatever it is. It, it's just kind of that reminder of how important sports is to us, even when other more important things are happening. Yeah, and it's cool. I mean, and this is this is diverting a little bit, but it's cool to kind of see, like learn things that you either didn't know or you knew at the time and didn't realize just how much it's changed. 
the uh, game five of the 04 ALCS was on the other day, and I wasn't really watching, but my cousin was watching, and he pointed out that Derek Jeter dropped down a bunt with a guy on second in the top of the eighth and no one out. And, like, Yankees were, I think, up by two. And what are we doing here? You know, like, that would not happen now. And I watched the 92 World Series a few days ago, and the in the first three innings of that game – I want to say 75% of the people who were who came to who came to the plate with a runner on base at least showed bunt just just showed it and it it kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop it was weird it was it wasn't something that I that I saw and all of a sudden you kind of have an appreciation for the way baseball has changed a little bit because you I think it's always a good thing regardless of of whether there are baseball games going on or not to kind of look at historic games or old games and learn something new about the sport and the way it's played now no question. It, it's a lot of fun. Speaking of the way things were, I want to put something up on the screen in just a moment. Uh, first, though, I've saw a couple of people have mentioned this. It is a scorecard on your your shirt pocket, is it not? Yes, it is. It's uh, it's from baseballism. I got it at the at in Atlanta when that stadium opened a few days ago. It's a kind of ridiculous scorecard, actually. They scored uh, at least three runs, and there's no outs on the scorecard. So wow. Not a, not a very good pitching performance. Not a good day for the uh, for the starter. All right, you and I, obviously, and, and probably most of the people who are in here, we're baseball nerds, geeks, dorks, whatever uh, terminology you want to use. So enjoy some of the historic stuff that gets popped up there. Uh, UniWatch, one of my favorite websites. Uh, Paul Lucas does a great job covering the world of uniforms, not just baseball, but, but others. And he's also into just kind of highlighting great things that people send in. Check out this uh, that was featured on the site today. This is from the 1950 Yankees yearbook. And it was souvenirs you could purchase. Now, obviously, you couldn't go to Yankees.com the way you can now. You had to mail this to Yankee Stadium, Bronx 51, New York. No zip code, nothing. It's 1950. And you filled out what you wanted, and you enclosed your money with the thing. Autographed baseballs containing the autographs of Yankee stars, $2 each. $2. I mean, you're talking like Mickey Mantle in 19. I mean, whatever, whoever, you know, I mean, it's some pretty impressive teams. They won the World Series the year before in 1949. Um, team pictures, glossy pictures of the 49 world champions. You can get an eight by 10 for 50 cents. Biographical sketches, lifetime records, history of club, other features, a must have in your Yankee library, 50 cents. Did you not get to the world series in 1949 to get a program? No problem. We got you covered for 50 cents. And then a baseball cap for a dollar. The, the cap, the Yankee cap for a dollar, the 1950 Yankee yearbook. That's, that's some great stuff, man. I love it. I, lo I love that stuff. And I'll, I'll kind of, I mean, that that's all awesome. And I love kind of seeing all that, that old stuff. What that reminds me of is, um, and there's, a, there's so many cool things in the Padres Hall of Fame, but one of my favorite things is the scorecard from the first ever game played in San Diego. I couldn't tell you the year. I couldn't even tell you the name of the two teams, but I just thought it's, it, it, it's in the newspaper and it's so cool to me because the three categories, or maybe there were only two and then there was a subsection underneath, the two main categories were runs and outs. And that's all that's all that mattered. And so if, so if you scored a run or did you score a run or did you make an out? And I presume that means if you hit the fielder's choice, well, the guy running the first and second base, he's the one that got out. He's not the one that scored the run. And, and so so that's the way kind of baseball was viewed in its in its infancy. And it makes some sense. Like it's a sport. You're trying to score runs. You're trying not to make outs. Who's scoring runs and who's scoring outs? Uh, and then I think the third category was fly catches which is what they were called, just who, who, who caught the most fly balls. And so I, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. It's just really cool. I, did they have gloves at that point? I mean, it might've been old enough that they didn't. So that might've been a really big thing, catching a fly ball. And yeah. even if they did have gloves, you know, they were those little ones that were barely bigger than your hand. And it was like almost flat. It was like trying to catch it with a piece of paper or something like that. Yeah. And I imagine that, that like, it wasn't as sure a thing if you're like making it out on the bases, if you got in a rundown or whatever, like it wasn't a sure thing. So maybe it did make a little bit more sense then. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure fly catches were a lot more difficult than they are now for a number of reasons. The, the biggest being, and I say this all the time, the biggest being that like pros now catch fly balls every day in batting practice for hours. If you put anyone out there, anyone, any base, any random fan in the stands, their chance of catching a, lazy fly ball a can of corn so to say i put them below 10 percent. so it's it's not actually an easy thing to do and i'm sure in whatever year that was in the 1800s or maybe i'm sure maybe it was later than that i don't know but whatever year that was guys don't guys aren't used to catching fly balls they haven't grown up doing it every single day for three hours and so they probably it probably was a big deal
Wild. Yeah, it's uh that is a, a cool thing in the Padre Hall of Fame. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, over by the Western Metal Building, there's uh, you know, the, I think it's the first printed box score from a, a game in San Diego. Uh, and I do think it was in the 19th century. I mean, I, I would think it was kind of thinking back at it, but someday, hopefully not too long from now, AJ, we can walk down to the Hall of Fame uh, before a game and check it out and uh kind of enjoy everything that is down there. All right, we'll get your uh, social questions coming up in a little bit. So continue to fire those away, whether you're with us on YouTube, Twitter, or uh What's the other one? YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. That's the other one that uh, you can watch this show on. Um, also, we have uh, a, a neat thing to pass along. If you got kids at home, I know you're you're trying to figure out how to pass those days, keep them entertained, perhaps even educated a little bit. Padres did a nice thing today. We'll highlight that in just a moment as well. First, though, want to bring you the conversation we had with Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. His new book is out today. It is all about what I think is the biggest thing in baseball the last four or five years, and that is the home run revolution. Well, obviously, one of the main, main, main storylines in baseball the last uh, four seasons, I guess, uh, specifically, would be the home run surge. Record after record has fallen, league record, team record, no individual records in terms of the overall home run game. That's another conversation for another day. And uh, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal joins us now. He's got a new book out, brand new, in fact, literally brand new, out today called Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. Jared, thank you for taking some time to talk about the book with us. I'm sure this isn't exactly what you had in mind when it came to a book promotion on day one with everything going on in the world, but got to make the most of it, I guess. This was definitely not the book launch day I envisioned two years ago when we started. I expected there to be baseball being played today, and this was going to be coinciding with the first full week of the season. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the case. So now I'm just hoping that this book is able to provide people a glimpse uh, of the game that we're all desperately missing right now. And that is the book over uh, Jared's right shoulder, if anybody <laughs> is curious. Uh, he writes for the Wall Street Journal and, and covering baseball. And, and they kind of had an ex- excerpt or an essay uh, in there, I guess it was last week, I think. Days and weeks have gone away for all yeah. of us, uh, you know, from the book. And, and the, the main thing that jumped off the page to me as someone who talks about this reads about this stuff all the time was kind of the number you had there about the average number of home runs per game from 1900 to what 2014 15 15 yeah and 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 how it's just exploded really in the last four seasons yeah almost at a hundred percent increase it was just over one home run per game uh from 1900 to 20 through 2015 since then it's two and a half home runs per game so that means for most of baseball history if you went to the ballpark the overwhelming odds are that you you were probably not going to see both teams hit a home run. Now you're going to see somewhere between two and three at minimum every single game. And last season, 2019, it was even higher than that. It is an unprecedented power surge that we have seen now for the last four or five seasons. It's truly remarkable. It has completely changed the way we think about baseball. And I've said this, I feel like it changes every year, but what we're seeing right now is, a version of baseball that's unprecedented. We have never seen the game played the way it had been played in 2019 ever before. So the uh, easy question with a complicated answer is, how did we get here? How did we get to this point that we're seeing the numbers we are? Well, it is a very complicated question. We know what uh, Major League Baseball's study and commission of scientists said. They had a report that came out in December of 2019 that attributed 60% of the home run surge to the baseball itself being more aerodynamic, cutting through the air in ways that uh, were unexpected and sort of more aerodynamic than in the past. The other 40%, and that's the 40% that I'm most interested in in this book, is what the scientists said called a change in launch conditions, which is a very weird, fancy way of saying batters are swinging different. They are swinging to hit the ball in the air, They are swinging in a way uh, that goes against decades and close to a century of conventional wisdom about how to swing the bat. And that's really what Swing Kings is about, is about this revolution in the swing itself and how this fundamental part about baseball uh, had been taught a certain way for a very, very long time. And suddenly we're learning that maybe that is not actually the best way to go about it. Justin Turner was probably the first guy we started talking about on our broadcast in our little corner of the year, seeing him 19 times a season with the Dodgers. Uh, He was one of the guys talking about launch angle very early on 
in this. J.D. Martinez, another guy we heard a lot about early on. Are, are they kind of the, the poster boys or, or perhaps the catalysts that, that kind of got all this thing going at the big league level? Well, J.D. Martinez is on the cover, so clearly he I, – I certainly think so, and, and Justin Turner is crucial as well. For me, it actually started one year before Justin Turner had, had his breakout. It was 2013. It was my first season covering baseball for the Journal. I was covering the Mets as the beat writer. And the Mets that year signed Marlon Byrd uh, to a minor league contract. It was a signing that got virtually no attention because it was a pretty bad team signing a sort of seemingly washed up fourth, fifth outfielder type to a minor league deal. He was coming off a steroid suspension. He was 35 years old. Well, guess what happened? Marlon Byrd not only makes the Mets that year, by the beginning of May, he was their cleanup hitter. He was the best hitter on the team that year. He had an absolutely incredible year. And I spent all season asking him, "How? what is going on? What, what are you doing? How are you this good? And he said, well, I made some changes to my swing, but he was very coy about it. Really didn't want to talk about it. Took toward the end of the season. He had been traded from the Mets to the Pirates, helped the Pirates get to the playoffs, and finally acknowledges the truth about what he had done the offseason before. And that's he spent the whole winter working with a hitting coach by the name of Doug Latta, an independent hitting coach who runs a batting cage in the middle of nowhere outside of L.A. in an office park, the most nondescript place you've ever seen. Doug Latta is a former swimming pool repairman who played low-level college baseball and somehow taught Marlon Byrd how to swing a bat uh, that Marlon Byrd's opinion was better than anyone had ever taught him before after a decade in the major leagues. Well, that blew my mind, uh, and clearly people were paying attention, including Justin Turner, who was on the Mets that year, because he also was captivated by Marlon Bird, asked him, what's your secret? Hears about Doug Latta, spends that entire offseason between 13 and 14 with Doug, reworking his swing, uh, and we all know what happened from there. He ends up signing with the Dodgers. The, Met cut, the Mets cut him. Very big mistake by the Mets. Dodgers pick him up, and he's been a star ever since. Kind of a remarkable uh, turn of events. I, I had never traced it back uh, to Marlon Bird previously. That's fascinating. And another uh, good addition to the lore of launch angle in baseball. Jared Dime to the Wall Street Journal, the new book, Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution, which is out today. Here's a philosophical question and perhaps one you're comfortable answering or not. Is this good for baseball? It's good for these hitters. It's good for home run numbers. Is it good for the sport? This is the, this is to me, well, the current state of affairs notwithstanding, this what you're asking is the sort of existential question, I think, for baseball uh, in the future of the game, which is the game is smarter now than ever before. There's no arguments about that. It, and undeniably is the smartest it has ever been and it is getting smarter every single day. The game is optimized in a way that we can never have imagined. However, just because it's smarter doesn't mean it's better or doesn't mean it's more sort of importantly, more entertaining. Because baseball, first and foremost, is an entertainment product. And if fans don't like what they're seeing on the field, on their television screens, it really doesn't matter how smart the game is. And to this point, baseball's attitude has been, well, let's let the game work it out. The game has this way of working itself out. And that's generally true. That's generally been true for much of baseball history. But not always. It's not always the case. There's a reason why, after 1968, Baseball had to step in and say, pitching has gotten too good. Hitting is too overmatched. We need to change the mound to make it more fair. Uh, is there a chance we see something like that? Not Obviously not the mound, but something to sort of even the playing field again, uh, to sort of inspire more contact, to inspire more action, to keep the game moving, to the sort of limit pitching changes. All of these things, I think, are on the table. The game is longer now than ever. It's slower now than ever. Uh, it seems like to at least some there's at least a group of fans that think the game has turned into sort of two all or nothing, where there's a lot of nothing going on, and then there's one burst of excitement that tends to be a home run. Uh, baseball has to decide what aesthetically it wants to be, and that's sort of the job I think of the baseball commissioner is to figure out well what should the project product be, what is the product we want to be putting out for fans, because teams and players are always going to care about trying to win games and make the game sort of as smart as possible. That's their goal. GMs and players, their, their job is to put up big numbers and win baseball games. Uh, it's the job of the league, of the sport, to make changes. And other sports have done this. We see the NFL, the NBA, tweaking rules every year 
solely for the purpose of entertainment. Baseball has been reluctant to do that because baseball is so rooted in its tradition. Uh, baseball doesn't like sort of putting its hand in that cookie jar and starting to mess around under the hood. Uh, but you wonder if you get to the point where maybe Rob Manfred does say we have to step in. That's why we saw the independent leagues trying out stuff, right? They didn't end up doing that experiment with moving the mound back a, a foot or a few inches or whatever it was. But I, I would have been curious to see what that would have done. And what happens if instead of 60 feet, six inches, it's 61 feet away, the mound 61 feet away from the plate? I don't know, but it might have a big impact. And I think that's what baseball is trying to figure out. Yeah, my, my sense is there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube now in terms of asking guys to adjust their approach or the way the game is played. So you probably, if you want changes, have to legislate them, uh, you know, in terms of rule changes, which is what you're saying. Side conversation that I won't get into with you right here because I want to talk about the book more. But uh, the, the one that I thought went kind of under the radar and shouldn't have that I believe they're going to put or they were going to put in the low minors this year was a pickoff rule. Um, where the, the pitchers had to step fully off the rubber before throwing to first base. So you didn't have any more tricky uh, pickoff moves at first. They did in the Atlantic League last year. Stolen base attempts and success rates skyrocketed. That could be a way to sort of incentivize small ball or at least smaller ball. But anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, no, I, that's interesting. Because I went to an Atlantic League game last year to, to write about the strike zone for the Wall Street Journal. I asked everyone what, what really has been the big impact of all these changes expecting to hear about the strike zone. And to a man, uh, they said that the pickoff rule was the single biggest sort of changer of the game of everything they had put in. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's the one I've got my eye on uh, for whatever it's worth. I I'm guessing all the, all the launch angle stuff and, and this approach to hitting has trickled down to the, to the high school, youth, college levels, everything like that. I feel like we don't hear or read as much about that. But, but again, I imagine that's the case. Absolutely. In fact, you could argue, I would argue that college baseball has actually been ahead of Major League Baseball in this realm. College baseball sort of been this laboratory. It's not as hidebound. It's not as rooted in tradition. It's more willing to sort of try different things and be bold and hire weird outside coaches like a Doug Latta type to work in the college ranks way before pro baseball was willing to make those kind of sort of innovation to make those moves. So it's certainly happening. And if you go on Instagram right now, or you go on Twitter right now, there are zillions of people out there that claim or say that they have unlocked the secrets to the swing or they are teaching something no one else is teaching. And you know what? You might think that all those people are crazy and maybe some of them are, but they're not, they're not all crazy because there are Doug Laddas, there are Craig Wallenbrocks. What this book is about is this cradle of innovation, how it took people on the fringes of the industry, beyond the fringes, people that really weren't even in the industry to lead this sort of revolution of change uh, because Major League Baseball wasn't doing that. Now, one thing I learned from working on this book is the qualifications to be a Major League hitting coach for most of, most of baseball history was very, very simple. You played Major League Baseball and you were friends with the manager. That was basically it. If you had those two criteria, you could be a Major League coach. That was basically what it was. Uh, and that's no longer the case. And that's why we're seeing people like Robert Van Skoyak become the Dodgers hitting coach. And we're seeing people from driveline come into baseball. And we're seeing more and more people that didn't play the game themselves get a chance to work inside Major League Baseball because teams have realized maybe there's a better way. Yeah, no, I think the revolution is over, or at least uh, towards the end. There's no question. Baseball has changed more in the last however many years you want to put it, five or six, than perhaps it did in the previous 50 or, or even more. Uh, Jared Diamond, Wall Street Journal, the book Swing Kings is out today. Uh, one last thing, just kind of specifically about the book. I mean, outside of some of these you know, crazy numbers and, and anecdotes and J.D. Martinez and Marlon Bird, what else can we expect to get out of the book? A lot of interesting stories about a lot of really weird people. I talked about Marlon Bird, swimming pool repairman, who taught him how to hit. There are some even crazier stories in the book. Uh, J.D. Martinez, I think, is the most interesting. He worked with a coach named Craig Wallenbrock, who's a name that sort of is entering the baseball lexicon now. He actually now works for the Dodgers, but uh, for a long time, an independent hitting coach. This was a guy who uh, played junior college baseball, uh, ends up dropping out of school, moves down to the beach. In the, this is in the 60s becomes a self-described pot-smoking hippie and full-time surfer. And this was the man that sort of unlocked the mysteries of the swing by bringing in Eastern literature and Chinese painters. And he studied big cats in the jungle and all this crazy stuff. Craig Wallenbrock's one of the most fascinating people I've ever met in my entire life. 
Uh, and for him to have sort of now cracked uh, Major League Baseball and working with J.D. Martinez and so many others, I always tell fans on Twitter, anyone who asks, if you hear a player on your favorite team went to work with Craig, Craig Wallenbrock over the offseason, that's very, very good news for your baseball team. There you go. Uh, Big Cats, very timely also right now with everything going on <laughs> on Netflix. Uh, Jared, thank you so much for the time. Uh, congrats on, on getting the book out there. Look forward uh, to reading it. Obviously, plenty of time for reading. Everybody out there, pick up a copy of Swing Kings if you can. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, all the best to your family. Hope everybody's able to stay healthy. Thanks so much. I know these are tough times, and not everyone might be in a position to buy a book right now. It's the 10 billionth most important thing going on right now, but I do hope that you know, we all miss baseball and this is a little taste of it when we all kind of need it. So thanks for letting me talk about it. No, thank you. All right, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. Again, the book is Swing Kings out today. As Jared said, certainly understand not everybody can uh, run out and get a book right now or order one or download one, however you like to read. But if you can, uh, I, I recommend it. Certainly, I'm about to dive into it myself after reading the uh, the excerpt last week. AJ, I mean, for me, and you and I have talked about this privately, but like th- it, it, you'd be hard pressed to find something more important that's happened in baseball these last however many years than a complete change in the approach of like seemingly every hitter out there. Yeah, and that book's going to be fascinating, and I can't wait to read it. And I uh, there 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 are times right now where I'm having trouble reading baseball content because I miss it so much. And there's other times where it's like all I can do to kind of stay sane. Um, but yeah, that book's going to be excellent. But like you said, it's it's. It's the revolution that matters the most in baseball in the last five or in the last five or six years. That that change has really, really changed the sport, the way it's been played. We were talking earlier about about games that that we've gone back and watched in the past. And even if you watch a game from 15 years ago, it's very different. Not only in terms of the flow of the game and what's happening when, but also in terms of what hitters are trying to do and what you kind of expect from the game. I think it used to be more of a all right, we got a guy on first base. How do we get him to second? How is he going to get to second? How is he going to get to third? Whereas now it's, it's, you know, like we have a guy on first base. That's a potential for a two-run homer now instead of a solo shot. And, and that's not to say it's better or worse. I think we can, you can make an argument for either one. I think different people have made those arguments. But it's just a different game. And it's an important book that I'm looking forward to diving into. Yeah, very much so. And uh like we said, it's the thing that has defined the last several years of baseball and may very well continue to define the next several years. The conversation that I could probably sit here and have for hours with you is, like we said, it's definitely an optimal way to win games. It's definitely you know, the, the right approach in terms of the numbers. They, they bear out, hey, what these guys are doing, they should be doing, and that's why they're doing them, because they're looking at the numbers. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the most aesthetically pleasing version of baseball. And I think that in, in essence is why you're seeing Rob Manfred and MLB being a lot more open-minded than this league has ever been in history, you know, to the possibility of using rule changes uh, to, to adjust the essence of the game, even, you know, sort of like uh, to, to levels we wouldn't have been able to imagine not that long ago. Yeah. And I, and I don't want this to come across as me saying that the, the game isn't great. The game is still obviously great, but you can, I, I think baseball, like Jared said, baseball has been slow to, change some things whereas other leagues have been have been very historically other leagues have been very proactive and in, in they see a, a, a maybe a a shift in their product and they kind of want to either combat that or just just make it uh not, not make it go away but just just put something into place to make it more enjoyable for fans and i don't know what the answer is here i think a lot of home runs are are a good thing they're fun home runs are exciting i also think a lot of action on the field and things guys running guys balls in play those are also exciting and so if if i don't know what the answer is i don't know what the rule changes what proposals might work i think that's that's really interesting what you guys mentioned about the uh about the pickoff moves just how big of an impact that had because that's i mean there's certain moments when you're in a baseball stadium where where the the drama picks up and, and it's just I mean being at a ball game is is special no matter what's happening on the field whether it's strike three or whatever but when a guy when a guy breaks for second base that's a moment of drama that that is like one of those really kind of cool being there live seeing it happen moments that we baseball could stand to have more of and we've that's not to say guys should be stealing bases all the time because we've kind of come to understand that the way the game is now, the way balls are flying out of the yard, it's probably not that smart to be doing that. And so if there are some changes you could make to get that 
aspect of the game a little more prominent. I'm all for them while understanding that these teams are going to do what's smart for them to win games. So let's, let's make the rules so that the game can be really fun while not penalizing teams for trying to be really smart. Yeah, that's it. And, and as he said, the ball is part of it, you know? And so if they can kind of find a, a happy medium for the ball, you know, where that we sort of have at least a, an understanding of what to expect from the ball itself physically and, and the way it'll carry. All right. If you take care of that, you do a little bit of rule tweak here and there, who knows, you might, you might be able to, to bring things back down to earth a little bit. Although, like you said, people love home runs. So it's not like we're trying to take the home run out of the game and go back to 1968 or anything like that. Um, but there probably is a middle ground or something closer to a middle ground uh, that could be beneficial. Anyway, that's the conversation. That's the book. Hope everybody is able to check it out. Or everybody who wants to uh, is able to check it out. Thanks to Jared for joining us. Uh, we will take a couple more questions. If you got them, fire them away wherever you are. And uh, we'll, we'll try and answer a couple of those before we get out of here. First, though, I want to show this. Uh, Padres sent it out on social media earlier today. Uh, if you got young kids at home, I know you're looking for stuff to do. Uh, you know, thankful to so many of the teachers out there who are doing virtual lessons or sending stuff home. Uh, but the Compadres kids, daily activities, thanks to UC San Diego Health. You got coloring pages, crossword puzzles. Uh, you can look through that Swing and Fryer book. There are exercise videos, jokes, math problems, uh, an education course that's kind of like a game. There's a word search. It's basically a, a Padres version of Highlights Magazine or something. I don't know if they still make highlights, but when I was a kid, that was a big deal. Uh, but that's a, a fun way to do that. Padres first baseman, one down. Uh, I'm going to guess Hosmer. I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to really look at it, but this is kind of fun and uh, something for everybody to do. And uh, maybe we'll even tell one of those jokes before the, the show ends. There you go. You ever wanted to color your very own Chris Paddock? Well, now you have the opportunity to do so. Or a Fernando Tatis Jr. Very cool. Very cool. So check those out, Padres.com. Padres have uh, tweeted that out, put it on Instagram and Facebook, all that stuff, so you can find them. All right. That's neat. Um, we're talking about the distraction of sports earlier, AJ. Um, ESPN announced today that they will be premiering their big Michael Jordan documentary uh, a couple of months before they were originally going to. People on social media have been going crazy about this because we need something new to watch. Uh, when it comes to sports, we love all these old games. I don't know, you know, how much of a basketball fan you are, or how much you were into those teams or anything like that. But I have a feeling like I think it premieres now on April 10th. Uh, this is going to be like the thing we're all talking about the next day, like no matter who we are. It's uh, it, it'll be nice to have another distraction kind of like that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And uh, I am married to a big Michael Jordan fan. So she will be watching. I will be watching. And uh, I, I mean, it'll be cool to kind of see it through like all of my Michael Jordan memories are as a kid growing up watching Michael Jordan. And I'm really looking forward to kind of reliving a lot of those at a different point in my life. You know, that's, I mean, that's what sports should do in this time. They should be able to give us some sort of distraction from, from what's going on in the world while, while also all of us are kind of understanding what's important in life. And that's what I think this is going to bring us. Something other than that tiger show also, that's all I'm asking for something <laughs> other than the tiger show. Have you watched well, the there's Tiger a million show? shows on. I haven't watched the Tiger Show yet. We are uh I'm rewatching 30 Rock 30 Rock and watching Sons of Anarchy for the first time. Um and then I I will be doing a lost rewatch for like the fourth time and that should that show just rules. So, I'll probably get I'll get lost in that. I tried the you Tiger thing. I did one. I probably got to give it another chance. I couldn't get into the Tiger thing. Everybody's obsessed with the Tiger thing. Yeah, and, and my my wife's into it. Um it's a, it seems like an interesting brand of storytelling. So I don't know, maybe I'll have to, I'll have to do it, but I have like, I have this agenda that of, of shows that I'm going to be watching and Tiger King is not at the front of it. Okay. There you go. I think that's fair. All right. That's uh that's what we'll do. Sons of Anarchy. Uh, you got a thumbs up from that. I see from uh, Facebook over there. Um, I'm yeah. going for the Jack's look with the hair on this quarantine. That's, is there, is there any show, and I don't mean to turn this into like our TV habits, because with the baseball schedule, it's always hard to get into stuff. Is there any show that like everybody has watched aside from the Tiger thing that, that that you never got into? And now you're like, all right, maybe this is the opportunity to do so. Uh, the Wire. The Wire is on my is on my So good. List. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't so seen good. that and uh, don't have HBO at the minute, but I'm, it'll be worth it if I'm going to be watching it a lot, which I have time for. Uh, Sons of Anarchy was up there. I have some family members that had highly recommended it. And so far, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but I, I also am a big fan of rewatching stuff. So Me too. I, some people hate to rewatch stuff. They want to watch something. I like going back. I think you pick stuff up. I think it's fun. 
Well, I think the key is like, what, what kind of mode do you want to set yourself up in? Cause if I'm watching sons of anarchy, I need to sit there. I need to watch the show because I haven't seen it yet. But if I'm watching 30 Rock, which I've seen several times, or if I'm watching Seinfeld or whatever, I can I can do whatever other things I need to be doing and not worry about having missed anything because I know what's I know at least the gist of what's happening. All right. Well, there uh, there you go. Oh, that's very nice, Nathaniel. Thank you. Why uh, this? Sadly, this is this is not enough. I think for most people. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll kick around Netflix stuff. I, I'm sure plenty over the course of this thing because. Uh, that's, uh, that's what we all got going on right now. It really is. All right. This guy, he likes the tiger thing. Everybody likes it. I, I just, uh, I'll, I'll try the second episode. I couldn't get into it. There I were. can't say I dislike it. I haven't seen it yet. All right. I haven't seen it yet. We'll see. We'll see. All right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll end it there and get back at this thing uh, tomorrow at 530. Thanks to Jace Tingler. Thanks to Jared Diamond. AJ, always a pleasure. And I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I will do that. I will enjoy it from the comfort of my own home. That's so, uh, cheers, Jesse. Everyone stay safe out there. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. That's certainly the best way to do it right now. All right, everybody. Continue to take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Be smart. All that kind of good stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 530. Thanks for hanging out with us. Here's a live look, truly. A, a look that I missed. That's uh, from Petco Park, obviously looking out at the bay. See the hotels right there. The Hilton Convention Center on the right. I could honestly just stare at this for a while. I miss that view. Don't live downtown. Work downtown, obviously, at the ballpark. But uh Take that in. Hopefully we will be back there not too long from now. Have a good night, everybody. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.